I want to read from John 17. We are going through a series called The Prayers of Jesus. And the idea behind it is to cultivate our, our minds and our hearts and our longings after the things that Jesus longed after. And so we are in the second portion of John 17. We did the first portion two weeks ago. This is what it says in verse, starting in verse 20. It's, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me and I, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God, we ask this morning that uh, you might give us a greater picture of what it means to be unified. That term is thrown around a lot and it's thrown around a little bit loosely. And so, God, what does it mean to be a church that's unified? What does it mean to be unified with other churches across Chicago and other uh, Christians around the country and around the world? This is a significant call. So help us understand and to follow you. Amen. Uh, My first job at a church was when I was uh, 24 years old, and I was the... uh, middle school youth pastor. And I was excited. The church had nobody that was my age. Like tw- there were no 24-year-olds in it. And it was mostly families, which was a great place to, to be with kids. Um, we had two services, and we were at this church that, for whatever reason, was built very long. Not up, but long. And it was in the suburbs of Detroit. And so they had lots of land and a very long church. And they had two services. One service was uh, in a a very nice sanctuary on one side of the building. And in that service, they sang hymns. They had a choir. They used the organ. And uh, it was mainly people that were uh, interested in that type of service. And then on the far other side of the church, after that service had finished, there was more of a contemporary worship service. And for whatever reason, it was uh, a little bit louder. It had drums, it had guitars, it had all sorts of things. And so there was a whole other group. And the idea was that those two churches would never meet, even though they were the same church, it felt like. No, just kidding. They were, they were supposed to meet, they were supposed to interact, but it didn't work out that way. And one of the first Sundays that I was there, I was in the first service, and I was, uh, the, the worship pastor had the audacity to sing a contemporary worship song. And I remember a couple standing up, walking out, and I was in the hallway, and saying, I cannot worship like this. 
and leaving the church and never coming back. This is like my second week on the job. And I thought, oh my goodness, uh, that's a little bit crazy, right? Many of you maybe have been part of churches where there has been, uh, you know, the, the church moved from an organ to a piano or like very small changes that you think, but people had very particular ways in which they wanted to worship and way, in ways they wanted to experience God. And I got a, a case, a, 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 a very quick case of understanding that not everybody, even if they go to the same church, see things the same way. This passage is really interesting because Jesus is praying for his disciples. We covered that two weeks ago. And then he says he's praying essentially for those that would follow and listen to the disciples. That's us. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed this prayer and he was praying for unity and he was praying for us. I do not ask for these only, this is what he says in verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning the apostles' word, the disciples' word. It's pretty amazing to think that we are the fulfillment of what Jesus was saying would happen. Isn't, do you guys find this at all interesting? Across continents, 2,000 years later, that we are here talking about a prayer that Jesus gave, gave, essentially saying that his disciples, if they do their job well, if they spread the word that they had received from him, that there would be other people like us that would follow Jesus and that they should be unified. That's a pretty incredible miracle. And so this call for unity is a significant one. But who is supposed to be unified? I, I mean, I don't know. If, if you've picked up, uh, I guess you don't, no one really picks up the newspaper anymore. But if they look at the newspaper or watch the news, you can see that our nation, uh, across political parties, is completely divided. I mean, we are polarized. And maybe it's always been this way, but it's way more obvious than it ever has been. I mean, it's not just that we disagree. It's that we despise people that disagree with us. That we demonize people. That we consider people uh, that, that don't agree with us on a particular issue uh, like the worst, right? They're, they're, I'm trying to think of a word that I can use in church, right? They're just like ter terrible. And so I think it's easy to look at that and we, we hear these calls to unity. I've heard, you know, President Biden used his platform a great deal early on to talk about trying to draw people back together. We think about disunity in, in, in an organization. Maybe you're in a, a, a large company and it's really important to have unity, to be on the same page, to be aligned in where you're headed, to not have people constantly undermining where you're going. Some of you work at companies or lead companies like that. It's very important to have unity. Some people spend their lives trying to get different religions to be unified, right? to live at, in unity and have unity and work in step with one another. All these things are important. It would be great if our nation was more unified around good things. It would be great if you're, the organization that you were part of was unified. It would be great if different 
religions could have peace with one another. But this particular call of unity is a call for Christians. So when we say who is supposed to be unified, it's not supposed to be a nation state. That's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about us. Are we united? Those who believe in me through this word, uh, through the word of his followers, that's who Jesus is talking about. And so then, what does it mean to be unified? I mean, we think about just Protestant denominations alone, there, there are thousands. Like truly, there are splinters of thousands of denominations. Is there really, what does it mean to be unified? And so to make it easy on myself, I'm going to start with saying what unity is not, and then hopefully we can get to the passage and see what Jesus is talking about, what unity is. I think that oftentimes unity is forced unity. What I mean by that is there's a very charismatic or very, uh, a great leader that, uh, that, that is leading a church or, or, or a strong leader, someone that has a particular way of, of, about uh, him or her, and like they just, they're able to kind of bring everybody in, and then everybody kind of comes and, and believes. But if you kind of don't toe the line, if you don't agree, then you are sent off, right? Sometimes, uh, you, you, you know, you hear about churches and they, they remove anyone that disagrees with them. Well, that's not actually unity, is it? Like, if anytime someone disagrees with you, you're just like, you can't be a part of this any longer. It can't be just bullying people or manipulating people or casting people out. It can't just be like, you know, somebody having all the power and everybody just having to essentially agree with that person's perspective. That can't be what unity is. Unity also doesn't mean uniformity. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that you're having differing beliefs, because I think there are certain beliefs that we do need to rally behind. But it doesn't mean that everyone believes exactly the same thing about everything. I think it also uh, is significant and that this is not a unity uh, around cultural ideals or uh, things that you, th- preferences, right? A lot of times we look for unity around preferences or unity around uh, like our, our cultural ideals or unity uh, uh, around the things that are like really important to us but really have nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. I don't necessarily think that Jesus is saying that there shouldn't be any differing denominations or differing. I mean, we're at a stage 2,000 years later where that would probably be very difficult. I don't think that unity is at the expense of truth either. Sometimes um, we look for unity just by being as vague as possible, right? Like how can we lower down the theological truth to the lowest point possible so that we can be unified? And we have to be really careful, don't we? Because people are unified, and Christians, I should say, are unified around lots of bad things. <laughs> I mean, you could, we could be all unified around worshiping Satan, right? Like, that's like a legitimate thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, right? I mean, you hear stories about Nazi Germany and the church essentially condoning what was happening and unifying around uh, the, the, the persecution of Jewish people and many others. So this is where it gets really hard. 
Because I think that sometimes we think, well, everyone should just kind of get along. Everyone should just. But really what happens when people are disunified is that these two groups of people believe in something so significantly, so uh, deeply that they can't seem to figure it out. So they just say, you know what's best for us probably just to go our separate ways and do our own thing. We may look back at some of the, the breakups of churches or denominations or even uh, people leaving churches, like the, the story that I told earlier today, as sort of silly. But the person certainly doesn't feel like it's silly. They feel like this is significant. And so it makes it very challenging to know how to be unified when we know that we're not going to have uniformity on every single thing that we believe. And I think that, truth be told, is that most churches have lived off of kind of demonizing and, <laughs> and, uh, and showing how much superior they are to other denominations and other churches in the areas. Like, I, I remember growing up, and for whatever reason, uh, the community I lived in was very polarized between like Protestants and Catholics. And so I remember people just really telling me all sorts of things about what Catholics believed and me just thinking, oh, well, they're just not Christians right there. And then I actually talked to a Catholic and asked them what they believed. And it's like, oh, you actually believe a whole lot of the same thing as me. <laughs> Maybe expressed slightly different, might be slightly different practices. And so I think what Jesus is, is, is calling us to in this passage is to, uh, is to be unified around him. Around the person of Jesus and his kingdom announcement of good news. Jesus talks about how he is in the Father and that the Father is in him. And that we, as believers, as people that have decided to follow Jesus, get to now like, be in the club, right? We, we get to be in there as well. And that this mark, this determination that the Christ is in us is the defining mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's the mark that makes us to be able to be unified with others. So Jesus is praying that we would be one, holy, universal, founded on the very nature of the relationship between Father and Son. On the same page, on the same mission, going towards the same end, deeply in, in love and care and submitting to one another. And the result of this, the result of unity and why it's so important, you say, well, what's the big deal? Like, we can all have our own little churches and it doesn't really matter. It's like, why does it matter if we are unified with all the other churches in Uptown? But Jesus makes it clear that the, the reason that it's so significant is that this is how people will come to believe in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That's his application in this passage, is that they will make me known and that they will believe that, that the Father sent me if you are united together. So that the world may believe. 
The result of this is that, is that the world we see and know, this kind of human community would be united across all sorts of, of traditional barriers of race and customs and gender and class can come together under the, the creator God. And they would see that we, because we are one and all these people groups and all these people that shouldn't be able to get along, all these people that, that are, are radically different from one another in their histories and stories and socioeconomic statuses and, 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 and gender and, and race and customs and all these things can come together and be united. That would be a testimony to the world. Um, years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Africa and, um, and the, my favorite place in the world besides Uptown is Ethiopia. And um, it's amazing culture. It's like so unique. And it was, one of the, it was the only nation, or one of the only nations, I should say, I don't know for sure, but that wasn't colonized. And so they have a very unique culture. Um, and the church is booming there. I know a lot of us, um, we think about like only our context and how many people are maybe walking away from faith and walking away from Jesus. And we, we can begin to think that this is the story of what's happening in the world, but it's not. Uh, I was in a meeting a particular pastor and he started a church uh, about 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago now, he was telling the story and they started with a dozen people that were Christians in a region. This is a 100,000 person town and within 20 years, 30,000 people are now Christians. I mean, think about that. This guy's planted 25 churches that had never existed before. And, and when I mean they're planted, like they're like mud huts, like with sticks, right? People coming to faith, sharing the gospel. And what was fascinating is we went there, and I, and I didn't speak the same language, and, and uh, many Ethiopians do not speak any English, and, and I do not speak any Amharic. Um, and so it, it was challenging. And I remember through a translator, they said, would you guys sing a song for us? And then we'll sing a song for you. I was like, okay, that's fine, right? So we were not prepared for this, so we huddled up and thought, what song could we sing? We sang Amazing Grace. And they had no idea what we were saying. And then they sang another song that I have no idea what they were saying, but they were passionate. They, they were in, into it. They were raising hands, and they were jumping around, and they were uh, crying out to the Lord. And I remember that moment, like, like it was so incredible, because this is the honest truth, like the feeling that I had, is that I felt so unified with them more than I did with anybody else that, that like, like wasn't, isn't, isn't a Christian or somebody like, that I just hardly knew in the United States, just because of the bond that we had in, through Jesus Christ. Like, I just remember thinking, like, these are my brothers and these are my sisters. And these people, though we don't speak the same language, though we have a completely different culture, though our definitions on certain things in Christianity will probably be slightly different. And the way that we would do church and the way that we, we would handle our business would be slightly different. I knew that we had the same experience, the same uh, marking that, that we have when you're a follower of Jesus, that we had the Holy Spirit and that that had shifted and changed and done something in us that was completely unique. I think that much of 
my life, I've been told that the way that people are going to come to faith is to essentially argue them into the faith, right? Show them how logical it is. Show them, like, apologetics. And I actually think it's very helpful to know uh, answers for the reasons that you believe the things that you believe. That would be silly to say otherwise. But I am pretty convinced at this point in time of my life, having been a pastor for a long time, that that is not the only thing. So let me explain this. Uh, Sarah and I, we really love food. Uh, I would not say that I grew up trying a bunch of different foods, but now I pretty much like anything. And uh, we like to go to good restaurants every once in a while, or they don't have to be that good. We still like going to them. It's, it's fun, right? And we like to try all sorts of things. But once in a while, you hear someone describe it. Oh, you have to go to this restaurant. Has anyone ever said this to you? And they'll start describing to you how great it is. They'll say, oh, you walk in, and the service is fantastic. And everything's so clean. The ambiance is great. Oh, and they have this, these incredible appetizers. Let me tell you about this thing. And they walk you through the food. And then, you know, they told us that this is how they cooked it, and this is how they made it. And, it, you know, it's the best, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, chicken, chicken, chicken and dumplings I've ever had in my life, right? Let me tell you how it was so great. And I, like, part of me is like, yeah, I believe that. That sounds really good. The way that they cook that is very unique. It sounds like an incredible experience. Um, that I, I'm sh- it sounded, made my mouth is salivating just hearing about how good this food was. But if I haven't seen it myself, and if I haven't tasted it, and if I haven't sat in the restaurant, I don't really truly understand, do I? And I think that this idea behind unity is this is it's one thing to go tell somebody that God is forgiving and that God is love and that God is good and that uh, Christians are about bearing one another's burdens and they're about caring for, the, uh, for, for people across, across cultures and across races and across socioeconomic statuses and, and that, that we're this amazing group of people that, that God has done amazing things through throughout all of history And then people come to a church and they're like, well, <laughs> no one bears one another's burdens. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, this person's complaining about the organ being played instead of a guitar, right? Can you see how that like would impact your perspective? Even if all that was said before was true, that this is what Christianity was supposed to be like, this is what happened in the early church, this is what we're all about as Christians, all those things can be true, That Jesus actually died on the cross and rose from the dead and that makes an impact in the world. But if it's not true of us, then the world is left saying, I'm not quite sure that I believe that. Even if it's accurate. And so I think we look for unity. We desire unity. And so that's why we find our, our, our political tribes. And that's why we find our particular communities. That's why we uh, surround ourselves with people that think like us and that like, believe the same things that we believe and that do, like, like the same activities that we like. And so the church is unique because it's a drawing together of people from all different backgrounds, from all different stories, from all different perspectives that are centering themselves around the person of Jesus Christ, the one that the Father sent on our behalf. So Jesus goes on to talk even more about how he 
is receiving glory, and he wants us to receive that glory as well. He says he gives, like he says, he wants the, us, like us to be glorified the way that he is being glorified. And if they are to glorify God, if we're to glorify God as Jesus has glorified God, then we must love him and love one another to the extent that he loved us to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul, in Paul's theology, we see that this is that believers would, 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 in the same way that Jesus shared in uh, the Godhead and, and shared in our story, that we would stare in his sufferings because we are now united with him. And all of this is that we would make God known to the world. I really believe this with all my heart, that unity reverberates. And what if we were a community that could not find the lowest denominator, but find the highest one in Jesus Christ and center our lives around the person and works of Jesus and let that be the defining mark of our community and our church. People talk so much about revival, right? We want revival. What if we were just as happy about revival happening at the church down the street as in our own place? What if we were just as excited about the, the kingdom nature of other communities and Christians, and even though we didn't go to the same church or had the exact same beliefs on secondary issues and things that are not primary, that we could live in unity and walk in unity with those people? Imagine how different we would be perceived by the community, by the city, by the world. Unity is intoxicating because when you trust another person that they're, they're going to put their highest priority on Christ and that they've been changed by that and they can allow other things, though they may be important, to be secondary. It's, it's, it reverberates. It's intoxicating. I think that our unity will show that, that we truly know Jesus, that Jesus is at work here. Because our relationship with one another seems to be the criterion by which the world uses to judge whether this message of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead is truthful or not. Our love and our unity for one another is the final apologetic. I believe that unity means this. It really means that we fight for one another. It means that we bear one another's burdens. It means that we take a posture of mercy over judgment. Jesus gives this parable that's one of my favorites. And he says, those who forgive little love little, right? Those who have been forgiven much love much. So if we're fighting for one another, if we're bearing one another's burdens, if we're practicing mercy over judgment, and we're glory bearers, like Jesus is talking about here, and we're love bearers with this common mission. We will be changed, and our community will be changed. Amen?